Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, I got to tell you, we just had an awesome five days in Florence, Kentucky. There was about, about 50 of us that went and got to experience the life-size ark, so built um, according to all the dimensions given in the book of Genesis. We got to go to the Creation Museum, and it is, uh, it's awesome just to get to see what God has made and how he has made it, and what a just a little glimpse of heaven that we're going to get. I call it a preview. In fact, today in Revelation chapter 14, we're going to be in what we call the preview chapter um, because we're going to get some previews of what heaven is going to be like, what eternity is going to be like for those that worship and follow after the Lord Jesus. And I look forward uh, to that day. I got to tell you two pieces of really good news from this trip. One, I think everybody that went would say it was pretty life-altering in the sense that uh, we just got a real deep sense of awe for who Jesus is, what he has done. One of the things that got impressed upon me the most was not just the immensity of the size of the ark, because it was amazing, and not just what you saw in the ark, because that was amazing, but it's really cool to walk up to that ark, and there's only one door that they were able to go into that ark through, and that all pointed uh, to Jesus, one door, the only way that we have in, and it's interesting that they couldn't close the door, God had to close it for them, which tells us that we are going to be brought into heaven where we are going to be safe forever by the Lord because it's all by his work, by his grace, uh, by his power. That's the first piece of good news. The second piece of good news is we brought 50 to Kentucky and most of them made it back to Albuquerque. (laughs) So the percentage was pretty high. So that was awesome. So if you would, we're going to get ready to dive into Revelation 14. Revelation 13 was tough. We spent two weeks at looking at the unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, uh, the false prophet. This week, chapter 14 is, like I said, what I call a preview chapter. So we're going to get a preview uh, of what is to come for those that love the Lord Jesus. Now, what's a preview? It is supposed to be a short intro to whet your appetite for something that is coming. Uh, we haven't been to the movies in like forever, and Jolene and the girls took me to the movies on Father's Day. We went and saw The Flash. Fun movie. But being the fact that we hadn't been to the movies in a long time, I had not realized that the previews now are about as long as the movie. So I couldn't believe it. Like 45 minutes later, we're going, Is the, are the previews ever going to end? But they did their job. There's at least like three other action movies I really want to go see now, so it worked. We're going to take a look at our preview chapter together right now. So if you would, would you grab your Bibles, and if you wouldn't mind, would you stand with me uh, just in honor of King Jesus? Revelation 14, we only got five verses this week. We're actually going to break Revelation 14 down into three weeks. So Revelation 14, 1 through 5, then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him... 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. 
No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These who have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Gang, you can have a seat. As always, we're going to take a look at what is the main thing, what is the thesis statement, what's the big idea that God wants us to grasp from this. And really, this week is quite simple. God always rewards his faithful followers. But think about that simple statement. God always rewards his faithful followers. He doesn't have to. We already are getting heaven and we don't deserve it. We get salvation and we don't deserve it. And yet we're also going to get special rewards. And especially for those that step out in faith and trust and serve the Lord in ways that are beyond what they thought they could do. So we're going to get three previews in the next three weeks. This is going to be three weeks of encouragement, which I'm glad because the last two were hard. It's not always a lot of fun studying about Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, but important that we know the enemy. Now we're going to get to take a look at a future glimpse of what it's going to be like for followers of Jesus. So this week was Revelation 14, 1 through 5. Our focus will be on God's human messengers. Next week in Revelation 14, 6 through 13, we're going to focus on God's angelic messengers. And then the third week, Revelation 14, 14 through 20, the focus will be completely and totally on the king of heaven. His name is Jesus. It's going to be a great week. We're going to have a good time. This week, God's grand preview. God's grand preview. He's going to give us this grand look at what it's going to be like to be a follower of Jesus. Now, this is specifically about the 144,000. This is a specific group of people. We first met them in Revelation chapter 7. We know that it is 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel that are going to be sealed to share the gospel. Now, again, if my eschatology is correct, my chronology of end times is correct, I believe the church could get raptured out of here at any moment, which is why God raises up the 144,000 and the two witnesses so that there is a remnant left on the earth to go and share the gospel. And they are going to reap this massive harvest, but they're going to do it in the midst of rampant evil. The world is going to be rife with all kinds of sin and nastiness. But they're going to stand for the Lamb who comes to take away the sin of the world. They're going to stand for the King, and it's going to cost them their lives. In fact, that's why when we read in Revelation chapter 14, behold, they're standing on Mount Zion, and they're there with the Lamb. They stood for Him. Now they get to stand with Him. Let that be an encouragement. Stand for Jesus. Because someday, and really someday soon, you're going to be standing with him. I can't wait. We've said it before, but you all know what makes heaven heaven? Jesus. It's the fact that he's going to be there. Street of gold is going to be awesome. The crystal sea of glass is going to be awesome. The foundation stones with the apostles' names written in heaven is going to be awesome. Those four-winged angels that we call cherubim and those six-winged angels that we call seraphim are going to be awesome. The songs that we are going to get to sing, the new resurrected bodies we're going to get are all going to be amazing. But what's really going to make heaven heaven is we get to be with Jesus. That is going to be a glorious day. 
Well, go back to Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. We're going to break this down verse at a time. It says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. This very first verse of Revelation 14 is going to fast forward us to the triumph of Jesus and his sealed 144,000 witnesses where they're going to be standing on Mount Zion. A glimpse of the very place that Jesus is going to reign and rule from for a thousand years. Listen, that thousand-year reign of Jesus is going to be an actual, literal thousand years where he reigns on the earth as king. It's going to be called what what we uh, call a theocracy. God Almighty will be the one reigning from the throne. No more evil, wicked rulers. It's going to be all Jesus. And you'll notice that the 144,000, they have his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. This is in direct contrast to what we just looked at in Revelation 13 where those that followed Satan, followed the Antichrist, followed the false prophet, had the mark of the beast on their forehead uh, or on their wrist. Notice that the 144,000 that were sealed and called in Revelation chapter 7 are all there in heaven. What I love about this and something that we could breeze right past is all 144,000 are there. Not one of them got lost in the midst of the mess. Remember, they were serving the Lord in the midst of the seven-year tribulation. We think things are bad here in Albuquerque, right? I mean, they are. Let's, let's just face it. Things are not great. The direction that we have gone socially, the direction that our culture has gone religiously, politically, it's not good. We are in the midst of a huge mess. However, did you know that as a remnant, God put you in the mess on purpose? That you are actually here for a reason? Can you imagine being the Israelites? They just got rescued from the bondage of the Egyptians, led out into the wilderness, and now all of a sudden they're stuck between an army that's hundreds of times bigger than they are with much greater weapons, and they're stuck between that army and the Red Sea. Did you know that God put them right there on purpose for that period of time for a reason? And that was to display his glory amongst the nations? Did you know that he put a small remnant of believers in a city of 600,000 that's got a lot of evil running around it on purpose? You're here for a reason. You You didn't get born and end up in Albuquerque in 2023 by accident. You didn't end up on August 6th of 2023 sitting in New Covenant Church on accident. God puts you here for a reason And I believe that big reason today is for us to learn from the 144,000 that we're not called to just survive. In fact, we'll mention it more in just a little bit, but Dr. Erwin Lutzer in his book, The Church in Babylon, said there's one of three things that we can do, and we'll look at this more at the end of the service, but there's one of three things that we could do as a remnant. There's one of three things that the 144,000 could have done as a remnant. But we can do this. We can assimilate to the culture and be just like it, which does no good. We can isolate from the culture and make no impacts, which does no good. Or we can engage the culture by making sure that we are insulated without being isolated. I'll talk more about how to get insulated later. In other words, how do we get into the world without becoming just like it? We're not in Daniel right now, but Daniel's one of my heroes of the faith. 
He's 14 years old when he and his buddies, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before they had their names changed, were 14 years old when they were drugged 700 miles across the desert from their homeland into a place called Babylon. And yet 14-year-olds stood in the face of a king that could have killed them at any moment and said, we serve the God of the universe, we serve Yahweh and nobody else. Let me ask you, most of us aren't 14-year-olds sitting in this room. If you are, praise the Lord. If you're younger than that, praise the Lord. If you're just a wee bit older than that, praise the Lord. Did you know that we have been called to stand in the face of whatever is happening in our culture for the Lord Jesus unashamedly and unabashedly and tell the world, this is the king that I serve? Regardless of what gets pushed socially, politically, religiously, we stand for one king and we only kneel for one king. And who's that king? It's Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords. Man, I, I'm thrilled about how the book of Revelation ends. I don't want our time together in Revelation to come to an end, but I can't wait until you get to see chapters 20, 21, and 22. What a blast this is going to be. For now, note this, God will honor his special messengers. Those that are his special messengers are going to be honored. None of them are going to be lost. All of us, just like the 144,000, are going to be remembered. I want you to be encouraged by this. Paul and Peter and Jesus all speak about this very thing. Listen to the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, in him, that is Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Did you hear that? Your inheritance in heaven is guaranteed. There is nothing that any individual or society or culture or leader or empire or regime can do to take that away. I go on. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If your guaranteed inheritance of salvation is being guarded by God himself, who better to guard your eternal salvation and your eternal life? We have got zero. I want to impress this upon us this morning because there's a lot of crazy things happening. And the more you read about it, the more you hear about it in the news, the more you might begin to, to fret. You serve the God of the universe who preserves your salvation based off his power, not yours or anybody else's in all of the universe. Okay, Jesus, John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30 says this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, my father has given them to me and he is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Who can snatch you out of Christ's hand? Nobody. Now, John is about to also describe a song that these 144,000 special human messengers are going to sing. 
And while they're the ones that are singing the praises of Jesus, they're blessed and honored to be able to do so. Do you count it a blessing when you show up on Sunday morning to be allowed to sing praises to Jesus and study his word? I hope, I really do, I hope when you wake up on Sunday morning, you count Sunday a blessing, that you are excited to come and worship and sing the praises of Jesus. I also hope when you wake up tomorrow morning, whatever time it is that you get up, that you count it a blessing and a privilege to wake up on Monday morning to spend time with Jesus. Now that doesn't happen unless we make a plan for it. Again, that's another one of those things I'm going to speak to in just a moment, but I want to continue on in Revelation 14. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. That's like a teaser. I want to know what they're singing. And we don't get to find out, at least not this side of heaven. But what I do know is that the song that they sang and the things that they say are with what sounds like the roar of many waters and the sound of loud thunder. And as I studied those phrases in their original languages, what I discovered is that when those are used throughout Scripture, they're used to refer to power and to authority. In other words, gang, as followers of Jesus, when you leave this place today, go speak the gospel with power and with authority. That doesn't mean that you say it with arrogance, you speak with confidence knowing who has sent you and know who is living in and through you. Now, I bring that up because, again, we live in a world that says you're never supposed to tell anybody what is right and what is wrong. Everybody gets to make that up for themselves because, after all, there is no such thing as absolute truth. To which you all will remember how to respond to that, right? Right? If you want to tell me that there is no such thing as absolute truth and nobody should push their truth on anybody else, do you believe that statement to be absolutely true and a truth that you're going to push on me? So if we think logically through how that works out, everybody thinks that they know the truth. The question is, who are you listening to? Are they trustworthy? Have they proven themselves? And this, again, is what I love about this book that we hold in the palm of our hands. This is what I love about the Jesus that we serve. He doesn't hide behind anything because the truth will always reveal. I should say the evidence will always reveal what is true or what is truth. And the evidence is completely on the side of the book that Jesus wrote and the life that he lived out. Then it says that they were playing like harpists playing on their harps. And again, just in studying through that, I discovered from places like 1 Chronicles chapter 25, verse 6, and 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5, that when prophecy was being declared, and then especially when it got fulfilled, that they would play harps as they sang these praises to the Lord. So why is it that this 144,000 are playing these harps and singing these songs? Because the very promises that God had made and said were going to be fulfilled came to fruition perfectly. And they get excited about that. Listen, do you ever pick up scripture and just get excited about what's happening in the world? Take a look at what's happening in this little sliver of land about the size of New Jersey over in the Middle East called Israel. If you keep a close eye on that little sliver of land, there is one specific prophecy after another coming to fruition. It's getting exciting. It really is. 
But the more exciting it gets, and the more prophecy comes to fruition, and the more Satan realizes that his time is short, and the more the demonic world realizes its time is short, the rougher it's going to get for followers of Jesus. I'll tell you what, it's never going to get as rough for us as it will be for the 144,000. And yet they stuck true to the Lord. I tell you what, it's possible you can stick true to the Lord. And when you do, note this, this is a biblical principle for all of us. Special faithfulness to Jesus today is going to lead to special reward from Jesus in eternity. Special faithfulness to Jesus today will lead to special reward from Jesus in eternity. Let us not forget, God is always going to reward his faithful followers. Now, I want to move on to the next thing. I want to take a look at the separation of the 144,000 from the rest of the world. They don't live like everyone else. Gang, don't live like everyone else. It's boring. We don't have to cave to the herd mentality. So don't cave to what everybody else is doing. Listen to how they lived. In Revelation 14, verses 4 through 5, it says, It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. I love that description. What set them apart from the rest of the world? Two S words. I'm not about to cuss. Don't worry. Two S words. Sexuality and their speech are two things that set them apart from the rest of the world. I really wish as churches we would do a better job at talking about things that make us squirm a little bit. Because if we don't talk about sexuality, we don't talk about biblical sex, we don't talk about what God has designed for a man and a woman, our young people will go figure that out on social media, they'll figure it out from their friends, or they'll figure it out from the education system. All of which have done great harm and detriment to our kids and to future generations. So I'm going to make you all squirm a little bit today because it says these guys did not defile themselves with women. I want to make sure that we're clear on a couple of things. God is not talking about a married sex life. We tend to have this thought in our head of God as a cosmic killjoy and anti-sex, which is actually quite the opposite. When he created Adam and Eve, he actually created them as sexual beings. In fact, he even created sex between the first man and first woman for at least two reasons. One was for recreation they were actually allowed to enjoy each other. That was not a bad thing. That was not a sinful thing. And the other was for procreation. Recreation and procreation. Unfortunately, Satan comes on the scene. The demonic world comes on the scene. The flesh wars against us. And it takes all of these things that God designed as being right and good and perverts them. Many have asked, Pastor, why do you Christians seem to hit on sexuality stuff a lot? Why, why does that seem to be such a hotbed topic? Because it is the one thing that has been attacked just about more than anything else that is a good gift that God has given. It is the one thing that we have parades for. We don't parade lying, lying. we don't parade gossiping, but we parade things that revolve around sexuality. And so therefore, the church has been put into a position where we better speak about this, and we better let people know what God designed things like sexuality for. Now, here's where I want to ask a couple of touchy questions for you to be praying about and thinking about, but are you honoring God with your sex life? For you married people, are you fanning the flame of desire for your husband and your wife alone? 
It's important that we're doing that and we're cultivating that relationship. Are your sexual desires and thoughts reserved only for ladies, your husband, and for husbands, your wife, alone? If you're single, have you made a covenant with your eyes like Job did to look upon no person lustfully? Have you been willing to keep your heart and your mind in check? Do you have others that will help you keep your heart and mind in check, regardless of whether you're a married man or woman or a single uh, man or woman? Do you have filters set up from people to things that you put onto your computer? Are you willing to say to yourself, I have to love Jesus more than this sin? Are you willing to be honest with yourself when you look at another person in lust and say, you know what, I chose to love my sin more than I chose to love Jesus today? And then what about your mouth? What comes out of it? What does your speech look like? These individuals, these 144,000 honored Jesus with their sex lives and with their speech. Is what's coming out of our mouth full of praise, full of worship, full of things that edify people? Or are we gossips and slanderers just like the rest of the world? Man, I have heard and seen some nasty things come out of the mouths of believers, and we disguise them as prayer requests when ultimately they're gossip fests. We got to be careful because the world is watching and the world is listening. And as much as the world would love to see us mess up, believe it or not, you actually have people that would love to see authenticity in those that follow Jesus. Now, again, I've already noted that when he speaks about our sex lives in our mouths, he's not trying to ruin our fun and ruin our joy. If you don't believe me, read Proverbs chapter 5. Read the entire book of the Song of Solomon. How much fun would it be to do a sermon series through the Song of Solomon? Oh, man, many of you all, even in the wintertime, would be sweating. It would be sweet. Let me get ready to conclude with this. One of the, the key things to note here is towards the end of this passage that we just did, we are told that this 144,000 would follow the Lamb wherever he goes because they have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Please note the sequence of these last two verses. Knowing that they were redeemed, they were able to live a blameless life. But how were they able to live a blameless life? They followed the lamb wherever he went. In other words, it was a little bit like follow the leader. Wherever Jesus went, they went. Whatever Jesus said, they said. Whatever Jesus did, they did. How was the only way for them to know what Jesus said, where he went, and what he did possible? By being with him. I want to ask you this morning, what does your time look like with Jesus? Before I conclude this, I want to give you just a few simple steps for spending time with Jesus. You all know I'm a major cheese ball when it comes to things that start with the same letter, but it helps me a ton. So there are three P's that I always lay out for myself. Our staff has talked through these before, but there are three P's when it comes to, to our time with Jesus. The first is this, your period of time. Do you have one? Do you have a specific period of time every day, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, if you're a morning person, do it bright and early. If you're a night person, stay up a little bit longer and do it at night. But do you have that period of time that's just between you and Jesus 
Look, we all make time for stuff. I cannot tell you in the course of 20-some years of ministry the number of times I've heard people say, Pastor, I know you say we should be in our Bibles, but I just don't have enough time in the day. Okay, fantastic. Let's look at your phone or your day planner, and let's take a look at what you do throughout the day because I guarantee that we all build things into our day. We build in eight hours for work. We build in about eight hours for sleep. Why? Because those are important. They sure are. What about our time with Jesus? Is it important? I guarantee that most of us can carve out an hour to watch television shows. Can we carve out an hour to be with Jesus? Okay, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. But if you do, praise Jesus. So, we want to have a period of time where we spend ample time with him. Time that's dedicated just to him. Which brings me to my next P. Do you have your place that's just for you and Jesus? If you're easily distracted, spending your period of time in a place where the kids are running around and screaming is probably not the best time. If you're easily distracted, a loud restaurant or coffee shop is probably not the best place and the best time. So do you have a period of time and do you have your place? And the last P is do you have a plan? If we don't have a plan for our time in God's Word, that's fantastic that your pastors and others sit up here and say, go spend time with Jesus, but you have no idea where to start. Ask. Ask myself. Ask one of your elders. Ask one of our deacons. Ask your Bible study leader. Ask your spouse. Ask somebody about what they're doing for their time in God's Word. I would encourage all of us, get on the website. Get on our, our New Covenant Church website, and right there for, under resources, you've got the NCC Bible and Book Reading Plan. If you haven't heard this before, the reason that the Bible reading plan is put together the way it is is we want you to see Jesus on every single page. So the reason that you would read, say, Genesis 1 and 2 the first day and then John 1 and 2 the next day is we want you to see how Jesus is intimately involved even in creation. We want you to be able to see how Genesis 3 is even attached to the book of Romans 1, 2, and 3. We want you to see how First and Second Samuel are attached to what's going on in the Psalms because we're looking at David's outward life and then his inner life. It's just amazing how God's word is put together. And when you begin to get it and you have those aha moments, what a blast it is to spend time in God's word. So there are your three Ps for becoming more like the 144,000. Again, I only bring those up because if we don't have a plan, for how we're going to grow in discipleship, if, how we're, if we don't have a plan for how we're going to grow to become just like Jesus. I could tell you, go be like the 144,000. You're like, that's great. That was uplifting. That was fun. That was encouraging. But I don't have any kind of game plan in place. I would pray that as a church body, we're having a game plan, game plan that's put in place. Well, let me conclude with this. At the end of your notes, there's some questions for you. The first is just simply this. Are you living a life like the special messengers? Are you living like the 144,000? Are you following the lamb wherever he goes? Are you remaining sexually pure, whether it be in your married life or in your single life? Are you choosing to please Christ as opposed to trying to please the crowd? Are you willing to make significant sacrifices for Jesus? Because I will tell you, if you want to follow Jesus today, it's going to be costly. And it's only going to get more costly as the days go by. But I would also remind you of this, something that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. The reward will always outweigh the sacrifice. I look at some of the just heinous ways that 
certain believers throughout church history were put to death, some of the terrifying ways that they were killed. But I will tell you that when they stood before the Lord that day, when they breathed their last, and they're standing there with the Lord in heaven today, none of them regret living for Jesus. None of them regret the sacrifice because the reward far outweighs the sacrifice. Remember, we might live comfortable lives and try to extend our lives by a couple years or even a couple decades, but eternity is going to be a whole lot longer. And man, I can't wait to see what eternity is going to be like. Well, just note this, making significant sacrifices to live for Jesus is going to start with those daily decisions that we just talked about. So I would encourage you today, would you make a resolve to live for Jesus? Be in his word, spend time in prayer, plan out your day so that he is the center of it. By the way, going to work for eight hours, that's not a bad thing. But did you know that your work can be a mission field? Do you know that your work can be a place to bring God glory and honor? Going to school for eight hours a day, that's not a bad thing. (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, right. (laughs) But that's not a bad thing because you've got a captive audience of a couple thousand other people that need Jesus. Use it to bring him honor and glory. It might mean denying yourself of some certain forms of entertainment so that you can honor him. It's worth it. It might mean loving on and reaching out to people that are very unlovely at times. But let me encourage you, it's worth it. It means a lot of things that seem like big sacrifices, but in light of eternity, the rewards are going to far outweigh any sacrifice. I've told you before, I always laugh at the Apostle Paul. This dude gets shipwrecked and left in shark-infested waters. He gets bitten by a snake that should have killed him and he doesn't die. Then he gets stoned, which basically looks like to death. They throw large stones at his head till they think he's dead. They drag him out into the desert. He somehow recuperates from that, walks right back into the city of people that tried to stone him to death and keeps preaching the gospel. Then he writes in 2 Corinthians these crazy words, I consider these light and momentary afflictions nothing compared to what I'm going to inherit when I get to heaven. Okay, Paul, you need Prozac, brother. But yet, he loved Jesus. Man, how awesome would it be if people looked at us like that and went, y'all are weird because you have been beat down, beat up, slandered, ridiculed, mocked, and yet you just keep on praising Jesus, and you just keep on loving him, and you just keep on telling the very people that are the most heinous and wicked all about this Jesus that you love and serve. How awesome would it be if we were those weird people? Hey, can I encourage you? I love, love, love what Janelle Morris's shirt said. Normal ain't coming back, but Jesus is. I love that. Normal ain't coming back, but Jesus is. So gang, let's just get used to it. I don't even know what normal is, but I do know who Jesus is. So let's serve and let's honor him. I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to ask you, don't leave as soon as I say amen. I want to share one final thing with you. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we ask you to give us the strength and give us the resolve to live for you just like the 144,000 did. And Lord, we see that they do it in the midst of rampant evil. We see that they do it in the midst of heinous crimes that are committed against them. And yet they stuck true to you, Lord. You have shown us that that is possible, but it's not possible in our power. It's only possible when you are the one who's living through us. And so, Lord, we are just thankful that you live in us and that you are living through us. And Lord Jesus, we give you 
ourselves. We give you whatever days we have left on planet Earth because we want to see you do awesome and mighty things. And Lord, remind us that what we give you already belongs to you anyways. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. Well, in his book, Dr. Erwin Lutzer in The Church in Babylon says these words. I think that these words are quite appropriate for where we are at today. He says, Christians today are faced with three ways that we can respond to the evil culture that we live in. We can assimilate the secular culture, we can isolate from the secular culture, or we can engage the secular culture. In light of the gospel, the only choice for the Christ follower is to engage. He said, we're not Israel in the promised land. If anything, we are Israel in exile. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 5 speaks to those who are like us. We are called to plant gardens and grow, flourish, seek the good of the city and more. But we must always remember we are in Babylon. He says Christians living in America need to realize that the world's hostility should strengthen our resolve to bring hope to the hurting and restoration to the broken. And that now more than ever, the church needs to be bold in its proclamation and humble in its presence. We finish with Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Did you know that you are not going to lay the sole of your foot on any place that God doesn't already own? Therefore, we have got nothing to fear and everything to be excited about as followers of Jesus. Amen? Gang, have a good week. We'll see you next Sunday. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.